Hello and welcome to the Real Food Whole Health Podcast, where it's all about real food and holistic living in the real world. With your host, nutritional therapist, Amy Love. And please note our disclaimer, all information and content in this podcast is for general information only and not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us on the Real Food Whole Health Podcast. Today, we're visiting with Michelle, a health and nutrition coach from findyourbalancehealth.com. Michelle, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Amy. Oh, so excited to connect with you. We are so passionate about health and nutrition. Well, then it looks like I'm in the right place. You know, reading through your story and like what you've been through to come to real food and health is just amazing. It's been quite a journey. It really has been, um, I, I, you know, I wish I could say, and it's and it's over. I'm here. Everything is perfect. Right? There's nothing left to learn. But that's, no, <laughs> there's always more. I know, right? Well, we talk a lot about that on the podcast, like health. Everybody kind of has this concept of health as like an end point, right? Like I'm going to get healthy and be healthy. And it's just this happy little town I'm going to live in. And really, it's more about building in resiliency. It's more about building in like the tools that you need to kind of navigate ups and downs of life, right? Oh, I totally agree. I'm always telling my clients that first, just like with ice skating or with skiing, you got to learn how to fall and then get back up. Mm, I love that. Yeah. It happens. It happens to me. I'm sure it happens to you. It happens all the time. It happens more all than the, the perfect days. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because life is so dynamic. I mean, there's always stresses coming at you. There's always new things, like, that you have to adjust to in your environment. Constantly. So, yeah. Yeah. So, it's an, it's been an ongoing story. But, yeah, this has been my story now for almost a decade. It's been a wow. slow, um, sometimes circular path from uh, being very unwell to feeling the best I ever have. That's amazing. And now you were in the ad world, is that right? Yes, I worked in the creative department in a big advertising agency. That'll drive you nuts. Oh, it sure will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a, a marketing background myself. And so like, I absolutely get like the demands in that industry. And just, yeah, it's a little crazy. It is like everyone in that industry is a little off their rocker. I mean, I have my apologies <laughs> to anybody, but I think they would, they all say the same, you know, it's, it's an insane industry and it, yeah, it's fun. It was fun. It's a creative industry, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yes. Any of those creative industries, you got to have a little bit of that independence going on. Oh my, yeah. It was a different world, <laughs> different world than where I am now. Yeah. So what were, what was going on for you? You weren't feeling so good. I was not feeling very well. No, that is that is the truth. I was having these dizzy spells that would mm. come on. I mean, it felt to me like they would come out of nowhere. Of course, now I have a better idea of where they were coming from, but I would I would get dizzy uh, at work, at the store, at the mall in particular, on the subway. Um, I've passed out Several times on the oh my gosh. in Boston. Yes, yes. I, That's really scary. I was telling everyone that if you want to know how to pass out in the subway, I'm happy to give you my patented technique of hiding your purse underneath your body as you collapse onto the floor. <laughs> because it's scary, you know, alone, woman, on the subway, unconscious. Yeah. I know, right? It has. It happened to me over and over. And, um, and same thing at work and at restaurants and things. It was just happening way more than you could just shrug your shoulders at. That's wild. I mean, what did you even do? Did you run to the doctor? Yes. 
And I had been for years, actually, because I was always having these dizzy spells. They were just kind of getting worse and worse. Like they probably started in college and then uh, through the years, it was just more often. And so Mm. I did go to the doctor several times and they would always do blood work and take my blood pressure and whatever. Just tell me you're fine. I was going to say, let me guess. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Your numbers Isn't are that normal. The worst? Yes. That's the best and the worst news. It was. I, I mean, I really went in one day. This was when I was, uh, so after college and I was working, I went in and I said, you have to test me for mono because in addition to the dizzy spells, I was just exhausted. I just couldn't bring myself to do anything get out of bed I mean just drag myself to work oh my gosh. and I said I must have mono like you have to test me and of course I did not have mono much to my dismay yeah because <laughs> you have a they, thing right yeah. you can do something right right so it went on like that for a while um they eventually probably got tired of seeing me at the doctor's office <laughs> and suggested that I see a therapist Oh, because it's all in your head now. It's all in my head. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, okay, clearly, because now I am going crazy. I should go. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it was uh, physical symptoms that were, like, making me so upset. And, and now I see it was more circular. It really was, like, emotional issues driven by physical issues that just kept circling around into each other. Yeah. So, um, in a way, it was a good suggestion to go see a therapist because for the very first time, someone said to me, you are dealing with anxiety. And I was like, oh, really? I had no idea. I had no idea. This is how everyone lives and feels. And I didn't think I was that strange, except for the dizzy spells. Right. And isn't it weird when we're in that place of like dysfunction that we kind of normalize it because other people are sick too. And because you know, like I'm walking around and like kind of living my life normally, so can't be that serious. Oh, sure. Yeah, I had that too. Oh, yeah. I was normal. I mean, everyone's tired. Everyone's got, you know, problems. Like right. everyone's drinking their coffee. Um, I didn't think that was so strange that I was doing the same thing. And I didn't think I was that much more anxious than the people around me. We're all high mm-hmm. in this high stress industry. Yeah. But of course, the suggestion was not, um, you're dealing with anxiety and let's talk about different ways of managing that. It was, uh, here's a a prescription for anti-anxiety medication. And I was just like, not only do I have anxiety, but I have it that bad. She's going to give me a pill. Like there must be Mm -hmm. something in between those two steps. Right. And that's where it all started. Because you started looking for the answer. Started looking for the answer. There yeah. got to be my common sense just kicked in and was like, "Hold up, hold up! I just heard about this five minutes ago. Now I've heard yoga's good for things like that." Mm. And so I went. Like the next day, I just showed up at a yoga studio, and it just boom! It was like a ball that just started rolling down a. a yeah, and then down the rabbit hole you go. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, you just collect momentum and you just learn. I mean, it's been it's been wonderful. Yeah. And for the record, so the there's thing. never been any anti-anxiety medication in the mix. We avoided that entirely. Awesome, 
Awesome. Yeah, because once you kind of go down that road and, and, you know, I mean, different people have different needs and have to go there at different times, absolutely respect everybody's journey. But, you know, a lot of those things have a lot of side effects. And then you kind of like get in this in this thing where it's like, okay, I took this and this pill that's supposed to help me with X, but then I have all these side effects. And then it's like you can't untangle what's caused by what and very often then it's like you go back to the doctor and they say oh you're having that now like here's another pill and then you know because I'll work with clients that sometimes have been on you know five to seven different prescriptions and it's like half of them are just to deal with the side effects of the initial one that they really shouldn't have been on to begin with anyway yeah it gets complicated it gets really complicated, and it's just a mess when you can go back in many cases to, you know, other methods that are so much more natural and allow your body to heal without this kind of, like, covering up the symptoms and, and not addressing the root cause. Yeah, and I agree with you. There are some situations where, you know, there are the pros and the cons to every decision, and the medicine might have more pros than cons in a particular situation. Right. You know, I mean, that happens often. And still, I think we're missing all the steps in between. Even if there's medication, there still, I think, should be a conversation about diet, nutrition, lifestyle choices uh, at the same time. Yeah, because a lot of people don't realize that, you know, food allergies and, and sensitivities and things like that can manifest as these, like, mood issues and and really, like, you know, because a lot of times we aren't taught to think of it that way. We'll think, oh, it's going to be, you know, IBS-type symptoms or it's going to be maybe a rash mm-hmm. or, you know, in the most severe cases, like the anaphylactic reaction. Like, a lot of people just think that's food allergies, but it can really show up in all these other ways that you don't know it's a, it's connected. It's all it, very much so. And I should mention I was also struggling very much with digestive trouble, which I thought was normal, normal for me mm-hmm. for sure, and don't tend to talk about that much with other people. So I just thought yeah. it was normal. And I didn't even ask. I mean, I never went to the doctor about that. I didn't even think there was something to talk about. But right. along the way, um, it's so funny, you know, the, the digestive stuff clears up and then eat. <laughs> I mean, I would say to someone, it's impossible to feel happy when your stomach is tied up in knots and yeah. you're gassy and bloated. I mean, your mood, your physical symptoms directly, indirectly. Yeah. It's Absolutely. A big package. Yeah. The gut brain connection and, and therefore mood is so intricately connected. And, you know, I know a lot of people that, you know, are struggling with anxiety, depression, like just not feeling good, not feeling happy, not sleeping well, not, you know, all of these kind of mood things really have a lot of gut issues. And so, you know, it's very connected. And a lot of people don't know that. Exactly. So it's a cool side effect that when you start, like I said, like you start gaining momentum and doing like one little thing to change your health and then you do one more little thing. There's all these awesome side effects. Like not only do you have more energy, but suddenly I was happier and suddenly I was you know, thinking more clearly and all these things that I didn't even know (laughs) that I was missing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I had that too. I absolutely did. And, you know, uh, for me, like I remember looking back, um, you know, going gluten-free was such a huge thing for me because I remember uh, like having a sandwich or something and I was sitting on the couch and I was home alone just watching TV and, you know, I shouldn't have had any 
reason to be upset or anything like that. And I remember feeling so angry. I just wanted to scream and like kick and punch. And I was like, what is going on? And it was the gluten just irritating me so much. And it's like, when I cut that out, I remember how much more calm and balanced and rational I felt. It's amazing. It definitely affects things that you don't even realize. And it takes being on the other side, you know, to see that. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, yeah. I wish that we could somehow transport, you know, everybody like one day, like leap day would be a great day. We should have done it on leap day. Um, <laughs> it was one day of the year and somehow like let everyone experience what it's like on the other side. I just feel mm-hmm. like if people don't know how good it is, like they, they're not very, mo- they're motivated to lose weight. They're motivated by illnesses, but they would be so motivated. It's like, oh, it's almost like a drug, you know, like mm-hmm. it feels so good. You know, it's very hard for me to feed my body poorly now because I want to feel so good. Yes. Right. They just need a little taste. Yeah, I wish it worked that way, too. <laughs> That's kind of one of the cruel ironies of life, right? It doesn't work that way. You don't know till you're on the other side. <laughs> But that's probably, I mean, is that what brought you to health and nutrition coaching? Because I know that's what did it for me. I just couldn't stop talking about this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Blessed that now I have a platform. You know, here I am talking to you about it. I'm able to, you know, blog and speak with clients. I mean, I just couldn't stop talking about it, almost like evangelizing. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and, so not everyone wants to hear it. Let's be honest. Some right. people just right. don't want to hear it. And that was hard for me. And it was like, I needed a way to channel this excitement and energy. And, um, and that's how I, I decided to pursue a new career. Yeah. Yeah. It was huge for me too. Cause I, I mean, I was so chronically ill for so long, so much going on migraines and fibromyalgia and endocrine stuff and IBS and just on and on and on. And it was like, um, you know, I was having panic attacks and depression. I mean, it was so many things. And when I got on the other side of that and fairly quickly, I mean, within six months, it was like a massive, massive difference. Like one month was amazing, but six months was like a whole different person. And, uh, I just, it was the same thing. In fact, my mom said, you're like an evangelist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, because I want you to know, like, there's another way. Like, you don't have to feel that way. And, uh, yeah, it was totally what brought me to coaching because I thought I want other people to not suffer. Like, I suffered for decades. You know, I want people to shortcut all that and be able to live their life well and raise happy, healthy families. Sure. I mean, you must – I do this all the time. I see people. It's not that I'm judging. It's not that I'm looking out at other people thinking, oh, what they're doing wrong – but it more hits me in my heart when I see someone who's clearly tired mm-hmm. and they have a big Dunkin' Donuts coffee in their hand. Right. And I just think, oh, like, I wish I wish I could just talk to them about caffeine and adrenal fatigue. And I just want to like, get in there. And, like, it just it kind of hurts. And it hurts even worse when it uh, involves kids because I just think, yeah, poor children. I mean, I was that child. I have always been tired and lethargic. Like my whole childhood was kind of being like, you know, I didn't really want to go outside and play. I was kind of just whiny and kept to myself. And I just had a really hard time in a lot of situations because I didn't feel well, but I thought I was just, I don't know, lacking as a human being. Yeah. Right. 
that that was just your personality. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. I was sick as a kid too. And it sucked. It was awful. And it's like, you know, I think looking back, like with my parents, I'm like, why did you keep taking me to McDonald's and doing all this stuff? Why did you keep pumping me full of antibiotics? And why did you let them do that? And it's like, they didn't know any better. They didn't know. They thought they were doing the right thing. Of course. You know, they thought they were operating from love. And it's like, it's so important now to spread the message of there's another way. And this stuff really does have lasting effects. You know, it's not, um, it's not just one meal. It's this, you know, pattern of stuff going on and that there is like actually really easy ways around it. It's not like the kids have to eat tofu and cardboard all the time. That's right. Nobody wants to do that. That's right. And also that you don't have to jump from, you know, just a totally standard American diet culture. And then all of a sudden you're eating nothing but, like you said, tofu and cardboard. I mean, there's like huge (laughs) spectrum in between. And I think people get afraid that if they go there, they're expected to like go there. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's so important um, for the kiddos. And so, you know, with your work, I know you have, uh, you have kids? I do. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Oh, wow. Busy, busy. Busy, yes. (laughs) And so, you know, obviously once this helped you, it, it had to help your family. You had to say, okay, we're making some changes. Well, you know what? Since this, um, you know, my journey started before I had children. So oh, great. when I had kids, I already had a lot of thoughts in my mind of how I wanted things to go. <laughs> so that's <laughs> the first rule of parenting is you don't know anything. <laughs> that's laid plans, right? Yeah. So, you know, I went into my first pregnancy. I was eating uh, a mostly vegan diet. Well, that quickly changed, you know, and I very quickly encountered, you know, this isn't working for my body anymore. And now I have a body that has different nutritional needs. And it led me to, um, you know, sort of back to meat and into more traditional styles of eating Mm -hmm. um, and getting interested in, oh, there's more than one way to be, quote, healthy. You know, (laughs) there's there's, uh, I didn't have all the answers, even though I thought I did. So that was interesting, even before the kids were born. Um, and then when my son was born, my first son, you know, I wanted him to have a normal childhood, mm-hmm. sort of. I didn't want him to eat the cupcakes at the party, and I didn't want right. to. Uh, so it's very hard. It turns into also a big um, uh, a marriage issue if your mm-hmm. husband or your partner isn't necessarily on the same page. Yeah, how, how you raise the kids, you know, brings up all of that. So we've been navigating these waters, and now I have my kids are off. They're off dairy because we were having so much, you know, the colds and the constant sickness. Mm-hmm. So that's been an experiment that we're we're doing right now. Oh, it's it's very hard. It's very hard to not want to be like, okay, you're off this, you're off that, you're off everything, and here's all you're right. going to eat, and I'm going to control every bite that goes in your mouth. It's hard. Yeah, that's a really fine line. And like you said, like getting your spouse on board um, sometimes can be tough. Like I know uh, a lot of my clients, their spouse sometimes is like really resistant. And, you know, I've heard some crazy things about like, well, you and the daughter can do it, but me and my son, we're not going to do this or, you know, like some really crazy stuff. Or dad will, you know, run through McDonald's and, like, eat it in front of everybody in the car while they're not eating that way. You know, just like (laughs) – yeah. Oh, it's like they have to deal with their own, you know, issues, too. But it's, yeah, because it's a trigger. But did you have any idea, like, how 
uh, prevalent that the sugar and the junk food was going to be with kids. Oh, it's like, like at every turn, every turn. You can't get around it. It's I, I didn't, you know, when my son was just a baby, I thought, okay, I got this, you know, yeah. I can cook for him. I can do this. And then as he's gotten older, it's gone just, you know, preschool, uh, it's impossible. It's very, very difficult. So, um, yeah. so a lot of it is educating him as to why we eat certain things, why we don't eat certain things. And a lot of it is mm-hmm. also working with myself because I tend, going back to that whole anxiety thing, I tend to be a perfectionist mm-hmm. and I, I feel good. I want my kids to feel good. I want to do it right. But I have to also learn to temper that with letting him make his own decisions and, Letting him feel like he's not being controlled. Yes. Yeah, because you don't want to set up further food issues right. later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the cool thing is, you know, like you're over control of what comes into the house. So when they're at home, you know, it's really good to have these, you know, real food versions of even food that he would have other places. So, you know, like it's great that there's real food versions of pizza and hamburgers and tacos and like quote unquote fun foods or junk foods that, you know, really can be made from scratch with healthy ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. We do that. And I've kind of, the way that I've kind of decided in my head, like this is how it's going to go. There is no way on earth I will ever buy like box breakfast cereal again mm-hmm. certain things i just i can't i just can't do it right well there's no value there there's zero value no i i, I just i can't you know it's like it's too far from anything i could bring myself to do so in my yeah. house it's going to be a certain way and he's going to be exposed to all those things elsewhere and i get that yeah and you know fine one day he's going to be at his friend's house and then they're going to drink soda and eat Doritos and I'm not even going to know about it. And, Mm -hmm. but I know from growing up that even though I did all that stuff too, my mom cooked, you know, my mom didn't keep junk food in the house and we didn't have a perfect diet and she doesn't know. know, My mom knows a lot more now than she did then for sure. But I, I have those values like instilled in me. And as I got older, they, they kind of came out and, and took over and they helped me every single day and I know yeah. that it'll be the same for him. I just have to just have to worry about what he learns at home and the rest will sort itself out. Exactly. It will. And that's the thing. It's like, yeah, I kind of had the same thing. Both my parents cooked, you know, we had family meals, like even though it was green beans out of a can sometimes and stuff like that, you know, like you said, they know a lot more now because just society as a whole knows a lot more now. But um, yeah, it was always like, we didn't have dessert every night. We didn't keep junk, you know, foods in the house. And like, now I don't expect dessert every night, you know, like I'm not, I'm not wired that way because I didn't grow up with that. And so that's not a hurdle that I had to overcome. And I, you know, I talk to my clients a lot about like laying the foundation with your kids early and like really, you know, especially those first five years, like getting in as much of the healthy stuff as you can while they're growing and building all of these things and, you know, neural pathways and, all of these things, it's like, okay, you're laying the foundation really well. So if they do have those exposures later, it's not the end of the world. Like they're as, you know, their gut is healed and sealed there. You know, all this stuff is as good as it can be 
before that comes in and and with the conversation you know like you said kind of talking to the kids about you know here's how we eat at home and here's why we eat this way and these foods make you feel good and these foods make you feel sick and you know those kind of things so that they're empowered to make the decision and empowered to say even if even if their friends are having soda and and chips to go eh, that doesn't really make me feel good or if they do eat it and they come home and they get sick, there's a conversation opportunity to say, yeah, those foods are not health-building foods. You know, like, kids really have a lot of control uh, over that, too, when they have the information. And, you know, they're so much smarter than you think. Oh, yeah. They get it. They, yeah. they really do get it, potentially more easily than adults. Right. Well, because we've had years to block out all of these messages for our body and if you watch children especially young children they're really in tune with their body yes which is so fascinating to me because so for instance um you know they go through their growth spurts and then sometimes my son last week he just didn't want lunch no no thank you he's not sick Mm -hmm. oh my goodness is he sick no he's not sick you know he's thinking something's wrong and then the next day it was the same thing he just didn't want lunch and he ate dinner, and he's fine. He is totally right. fine. And it's so funny because part of, you know, working with moms like I do and then through them working with their children is kind of learning to let your children listen to their bodies. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to force them to eat. You don't have to play tricks and games to get them to eat. Like, people will eat when they're hungry. And mm-hmm. if only we could all remember how to do that. Right. It's so true. And it's like all these years of, you know, honestly, the the processed foods do play a role because those get in, those chemicals get in and kind of mess up our messages and they, you know, they cloud our judgment about things. So, you know, when I talk, talk to people about listening to their body and like kind of like following their natural cravings, that's so different than, you know, oh, I'm craving chicken nuggets or I'm craving, I need french fries right now or whatever, or I need that sugar. It's like that's where you're looking at, you know, MSG coming in. That's where you're looking at, you know, your your need for the sugar and all this. That's so different than your natural um, cravings and cues of, you know, I need like fresh fruits mm-hmm. and more watery, cool things or I need warming, saltier, heartier foods, you know, usually in the winter, right? We have all these natural cycles and it really takes taking that, you know, the processed food, all of these like chemical messages that confuse our body, taking that away, you get back to that natural rhythm of hunger cues and, and, uh, and what seems good. You know, you don't often want a salad on the coldest, coldest dead of winter day. You know, that's not the day you're going to have right. the smoothie and the salad. That's the day you want the heartier foods that are going to warm up your body. Um, and then just like in the spring or the summer, you want the more cooling foods. Those are very natural things. And, again, that's like kids really tune into that. One time I remember my son sat down and I had a baked potato. I don't remember if it was a white potato or a sweet potato. But in any case, he peeled that potato and ate the peels and that's it wow yeah oh wow I mean most kids won't eat the peel on like anything right, right? like they refuse to eat it uh, and it was fascinating to me because he had never done that before and he never did it again but I just thought there's something in that peel his body needed 
right? Because no one was encouraging him or or there was, you know, there was he has yeah, no he had cultural no cues around that or yeah. information or anything. They act so according to like their um literally what their gut is telling them. And yeah. so I, I find a big problem that moms have is so they have two kids and one one child loves fruit and the other child hates fruit and one child loves to eat meat and the other child won't touch it. And so it's very hard to serve one meal because they have all of these conflicting patterns and preferences. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Like, I totally get how frustrating that <laughs> Been is. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. But I like to think of it this way, right? They're all at a different stage developmentally and, and, and physically what their, what their bodies need, the vitamins and the nutrients that their bodies are asking for. So when my mm-hmm. two-year-old wants to eat, like, an entire plate of sausage, <laughs> I let him. Yeah. <laughs> and then my yeah. older son doesn't want to touch it, you know, and he's much – he loves beans. And my little guy won't touch beans at all. So it's annoying, but I see that, okay, my my little guy, you know, his brain is getting built up right now like crazy. Mm-hmm. He needs those fats. Yeah. Like, it's very important that he eats that right now. Um, and my older son, he has something totally different going on. So it, it's kind of cool to respect their pickiness instead mm-hmm. of letting it drive you crazy. Right. It's so interesting. Yeah, because the five-year-old, he needs that, like, energy. Like, he's looking for that carby energy, you know, from the beans to, like, go run around. And <laughs> oh, he is looking for carby energy anywhere he can get it, let me tell you. I mean, <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. That's, yeah, that's really important. I like that, too, like, just respecting where they're at, you know, in development. And that's something that, you know, in the craziness of stuff going on, um, you know, being a parent, it's like you might not realize that at the time it's just like this is what I made for dinner it's a balanced meal like why aren't you eating it right uh, I feel like but a yeah discipline issue if right. that route and I think it misses the point entirely yeah 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 totally and so since you kind of started with real foods and and things from you know the get-go uh what you know advice do you have for moms that are doing that now kind of midstream you know they have the two-year-old and the five-year-old um, and they need to introduce this this real food and make the change and break the you know the chicken McNugget habit and that kind of thing. So where do they go from here? Okay, I think that it's important for your kids to eat real food and to teach them that. But I think more importantly is what moms are doing for themselves and how will we set an example for our kids. Mm-hmm. So I think before you even think about how you're going to introduce your child to um, eating real food at the table versus whatever they're used to. I want you to think about yourself. Mm. I want you to make a meal, even if it, even, even if it means that the kids are going to eat fish sticks for the next week. Like, I don't even care if you're going to sit down to a meal with them, eating food, colorful array of vegetables, you know, real food that came from the earth on your plate. Maybe they won't touch it. But you're doing it for yourself because you're going to take care of you and your body first. You're going to put on your own oxygen mask first. And also they're going to start experiencing that food through their experience of you. Yes. I love that. That's awesome. Because, yeah, exactly. Fill up your cup first. Because, you know, think about just the benefits. Not only can mom speak to that through experience now, um, and model it for the child, but think how much better she's going to feel yes. 
and have that calmness and that mental, you know, all those crazy things are going to start resolving so that, okay, now we can tackle the next thing. Yeah, the patience that comes mm-hmm. with a diet of real food is an, is an extraordinary gift to motherhood. Yeah. Patience. So yeah. that sort of first and then, you know, little by little you can make changes. And often the changes that you can make to your kid's diet can be out of their um, they won't even realize it's happening. Like, for instance, you can change the type of cooking fats that you're using. Yeah. And no kid's going to be like, Mom, I don't like this. I just cooked this right. ghee instead of vegetable oil. Like, nobody's going to complain <laughs> about that. No. First of all, what is this, butter, not margarine? <laughs> yeah. Like, it, first of all, it's going to taste better. And um, yeah. second of all, they probably won't even notice at all. So, like, no. things that you can start swapping into your kid's diet and into your kitchen um, that really – like it's like a no-brainer in my mind, you know, to start doing that right. um, because it's just going to benefit everyone, and there's really no fight to be had. Right. So whatever they're eating now, can is there an organic version? You know, like are they eating cheese? Okay, can we go to organic cheese? Can we go to grass-fed cheese? Can we, you know, like like you said, it's only going to taste better, um, and they're not going to really notice. That's right. You know, it's like. Yeah. Go for the low-hanging fruit first, mm-hmm. you know, and once you could get that all covered, then you can move on to trying to get your child to eat broccoli or whatever it is. Um, you know, I feel like with every meal, there are ways that we can, I don't like to use the word like sneak nutrition into mm-hmm. the meal, but I feel like I can make each bite more nutrient-dense for my child. Yeah. Whether well, it's for everybody. Well, yeah, for everybody. You know, um, but it, it seems particularly important because sometimes, you know, especially my five-year-old, he only takes one bite. So I really want right. to make that bite count. Worth it. <laughs> yeah. You know, everything yeah. I can get in there. Um, and so it's Well, that's where doing things yeah. like the, the organs, the, the superfoods, like liver and things like that, that normally many of us you know, adults or kids don't want to necessarily like eat on our, on its own. Some people love it, but some people really don't. That's where, you know, having it frozen and, you know, taking the grass fed liver and just shaving a little bit, grating a little bit into ground beef for burgers or tacos or spaghetti or chili or any of those things. Like you're not, they're not going to notice it. You're not going to notice it, but you're going to get the nutrition boost. Yes. That's a great example. There are, like we talked about before, so many, real food swaps for things that they might be used to eating now. You know, I keep bringing up chicken nuggets. So many kids just get on the chicken nugget thing and, and hang on to it because, I mean, you know, it's delicious. And, like, the ones that you buy, um, fast food and stuff, have a lot of chemicals, like a lot of addictive chemicals in there. So they kind of get on that train and go, oh, this is what I'm going to have. But like you said, too, swapping out the easy things first that they're not even going to notice and then tackling that think too about how they've already they've calmed they've gotten some rid of some of that noise from the processed food so they're going to be more amenable to making those changes and not as cranky either yeah it's a lot easier to get your child to try something new and they're not yeah as cranky and irritable and feeling lousy in their body you know it just makes sense yeah, so you're feeling better, they're feeling better. Things are going to go a lot smoother than when everybody's all up in arms. Yeah, you know what's funny, Amy? When I so when I had my first son, I had no experience 
like I never babysat. I really was very new to the whole idea of dealing with children. Mm-hmm. And my son is a really agreeable guy. You know, he's uh, he's friendly. He talks to not not like stranger strangers, but you know, like if we're, if yeah. we're in a group, open. yeah, he's open to people. He looks in the someone in the eye when they talk to him. You know, it, it really. I thought this is this is so nice. You know, it's so nice to be a mom to this kid. And then when we, he got a little older, we would hang out more in, the, in play date situations. And he started to go to school, and I was just around a lot more kids his age. I thought, oh wow, like I got really lucky. Yeah. Okay? So now <laughs> I think I got really lucky because my, you know, like other kids are so they're much more they're hyper and they don't really look at you when you talk to them. And it's like, they're not really hearing what's going on or paying attention or able to focus. Okay. So I'm lucky. So much of that is the food, right? I didn't really know. And I didn't want to think that because I wasn't sure, you know, it's like I haven't done any controlled experiments. All I have here is my one son. So when my second son was born, um, I knew he'd be different. Of course, because another child's always going to be different. But right. you know what? He, too, is friendly and fairly calm and just has a lot of those same tendencies. And and people will comment on how well-behaved my children are. And I do think it's the food. I really. A huge thing. Yes. And, you know, everybody can be like, oh, well, you, whatever, Michelle, you just got lucky twice. I got lucky twice. That's possible. Right. Yes. Right. But. When we work with our clients, yes. we see it time and time and time again. And we have a child that, you know, many times is really hyper and really can't focus and really just a challenge, a parenting challenge. You know, wild mood sw- swings, really just like massive temper tantrums, not sleeping, not, I mean, down the list, right? And it's not that they're a bad kid. It's just that the the parenting is challenging. And when we change the diet and we start taking these triggers out of the lifestyle, you know, maybe we turn off the Wi-Fi, maybe, you know, there's all these little other tweaks, but really attacking food first, we see that child do a 180. It's amazing. I mean, that's, that's like, my heart is right there right now because now yeah. that when I was before I had children and I worked with adults and um, you know and that's nice and you hear about their kids whatever but now that I'm so in it and so in it with my kids mm-hmm. and I work with my clients and yes we'll we'll take a, a toddler off sugar and suddenly the toddler's not waking up all night long right and isn't throwing the tan I mean maybe one tantrum instead of ten down. Yes. Because once they're well-rested, and you're well-rested, you know, it just ripples down over and over. And, you know, we did another podcast with uh, a friend of mine, Erin Smith, and she was talking about, you know, they're very real food-based, too. Like, they're very careful with what the kids get and what they're exposed to, just, you know, like all the real food moms. And she uh, said when they get sugar or something, she was like, I don't even want to be around them. They're like this whole other creature you know, it's yeah. not even the same kid. They're, you know, it's in there somewhere, but it's not the same child. The behavior is so off the wall. And it's not just sugar. It's like if they get gluten, if they get anything like this, it really just pushes them off balance and they are not the same child. And then when it's out of their system, you know, they're back to them themselves. Yeah. And, it's, and that's crazy. It is. And it's so obvious to me. <laughs> but it's not. It's not to everybody else. Again, right. if we could have that oh. one day where everyone's children right. were off artificial colors and everything else, 
we would see that difference. But um, I'm fascinated by this culture where we will potty train and sleep train, and yet food, the other, like, major human function, you know, like going to the bathroom, sleeping, okay, eating, that's, like, a lot of parents just don't want to touch or they are afraid to touch. Or it gets really messy because it's like, like you said, it turns into this discipline issue and that's just, it just goes bad. It just goes bad. It sets up food issues. It sets up power struggles, you know, and it's just really, really tough when it's like, if instead of having that power struggle over that processed food, change it to the real food version. And it's like, okay, we're in a totally different input here. It, it just it changes the conversation, you know. It's, it does. It's yeah. just. I mean, I, I, there's obviously people have so many different parenting styles. I'm just using, you know, I'm using those two examples because they're so common and so prevalent. Right. People run to them and, and accept them, and it's normal. Yeah. And yet to think about teaching children about food, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it, it's a, it's a really interesting conversation. I I feel like when I look at kids and I and I see them making progress and the behavior is changing and their bodies are changing like I feel like okay this this is how we change the world you know and this, this yes. is how it's done yeah I know it's such a big thing and and what's great with kids is they really respond quickly in many cases so much quicker than adults to these kind of interventions you know I mean sometimes within a few days uh just a few meals worth of change it's like wow look at this improvement Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're not lugging around 30 years worth of baggage. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I know. Well, and it just sets up such a huge um, lifestyle lesson and sets them up for so much success in the future. Yeah. You know, um, we live uh, pretty close to Philadelphia. And for anyone who's in that area, um, there's a museum called the Franklin Institute. Mm-hmm. And we went there recently with my kids. And I was walking up the stairs. I have these huge staircases. And I was having flashbacks to when I was a kid. And I was there. And we would go there with, like, my Girl Scout troop. These fun, big, you know, trips with everybody, all my friends. And I just had this flashback to I can't walk up these stairs. Like, mm-hmm. I just felt like I was too tired. It's so to much. It's so many stairs. And, like, all my friends were, like, having fun and laughing and, like, whatever. And I was just, like, in this little bubble of, like, ah, I can't do it. <laughs> and I felt horrible. And I never enjoyed myself at things like that. It should have. It's yeah. just been some great times I never enjoyed myself. And when we were there with my kids, I had that flashback. And I was just like, this, like, this is why this is why I'm doing this for my kids so they can enjoy themselves in all the ways that yes. I did. Yes. I love it. Right. This is what I'm doing for my family. And this is why you do the work you do. And I do the work I do is to help other people live better. That's it. It's not really that complicated, but I know it feels that way. You know, it feels yeah. really overwhelming. Like where do you even start? And right. Um, did I, can I share the cheat sheet that I have for everybody? Yeah, please do. You've come up with a great resource. Uh, I put together a simple meal-by-meal cheat sheet that goes through easy, well, it kind of ranges from easy ways to a little more in-depth ways to pack more nutrition into the food that your children are eating. So like I said, if they only eat one bite, how to really make that one bite 
count. And there are, you know, several techniques that I employ on a daily basis, and I've sort of shown you how you can make that work at breakfast and how you can make it work at lunch and at dinner um, so that throughout the day, just, yeah, you're getting more bang for your nutritional buck every time <laughs> your kid eats something. Um, so you can actually grab that, all, the, all your listeners, Amy, I, I put it up onto its own little uh, web page. You just go to findyourbalancehealth.com slash Amy. And you can easy. Easy, right? <laughs> and you can download the meal-by-meal cheat sheet, how to pack more nutrition into your child's food. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for putting that together. And, guys, I know a lot of you multitask while you're listening, so don't forget. I'm going to put that link, findyourbalancedhealth.com slash Amy, A-M-Y, on the uh, show notes. So under realfoodwholehealth.com, click on podcast, click on episodes. You'll find this episode and all the links that we talked about, any of the, you know, books that we, you know, recommend for this, even if we didn't call them out specifically. I'm going to put some on there um, so that you have a place to start to make these changes. Awesome. And I just started a a free um, Facebook group as well. There's a link to it within the download, but if anyone's interested, it's onemealmomcommunity.com. Oh, cool. And it's just, it's that idea. We won't always just make one meal for the whole family, but man... Let's try. Let's try to take the, the <laughs> scramble and the craziness out of dinner time. That's what that group is, is for. I love that. Yeah, it's so important because, um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people that are making four or five different meals a night. And it's like, well, nobody can do that. And you certainly can't do it well. Right. <laughs> I mean, I make one no. meal at night and it's a good amount of work, you know, but to make three, four, five, oh. Right. It's one thing to leave out, oh, this is an allergy or this is whatever. One thing to leave out, but oh my gosh, to make all these separate things and get it all done at the same time. It's crazy making. So yeah, I love that. I'm going to put a link to that on the show notes as well. So Michelle, thanks so much for being here. This has just been phenomenal. Thank you. What a fun conversation. I'm so glad that you had me on. Yeah, great. All right. Well, thanks guys. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks so much for joining us today, and please remember to leave us an iTunes review. Also, head over to our website at realfoodwholehealth.com and enter your email to receive free goodies, discounts, updates, and more. See you next time on the Real Food Whole Health Podcast.